0: Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So my guest today is a returning guest to Labor Relations Radio, and his name is Phil Wilson. He is the President and General Counsel of Labor Relations Institute. And for those of you that know Phil, you know him to be a nationally known expert on labor relations and creating positive workplaces. He's a well-known author. He's been on Fox Business News and a few other programs, and been quoted numerous times. In any case, Phil and I have known each other for many years, um, and we'll see each other from time to time at conferences, or sometimes we'll just talk via phone. And what I enjoy about talking to Phil is oftentimes, A, he's a fount of knowledge, but B, because we're somewhat competitors, we also will approach things sometimes from a different vantage point. His background is different from mine, and we have these very stimulating conversations. So what I found having him on the podcast is it's fun to have these conversations because I think listeners get a bigger picture or a, a better point of view from both of us talking together. In any case, without further ado, here's Phil Wilson. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Mr. Wilson, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. It is always a pleasure to have you on here.
1: Thanks, Peter. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: So there is news all over the place about unions and the National Labor Relations Board, and we are just talking about a couple issues. And you raised some um, interesting points about the new, I guess, um, the new case basically forbidding employers to offer money on severance agreements and right. in, in basically not to disparage their employers if I recall the case.
1: Yeah. Well it's McLaren McComb is the decision. Um but yeah it's a bit like, like a very big it, it's in this whole uh this whole sort of genre of cases of that you know employers and and employees cannot agree to or even non-employees right it's like you cannot agree to uh you know to franchise you can't agree to you know independent contractor is kind of lumped into all this um that that parties don't have the freedom to like contract with each other if the board doesn't like the way the contract works. And so McLaren McComb is all around, you know, in a settlement agreement, is it lawful for the employer to offer a clause in that agreement, which by the way, they're paying for, right? It's a settlement of a dispute. Um, is its is it all right to offer that that employee cannot talk about the, either the, the settlement agreement, like the terms of the settlement agreement um, the amount of the settlement, uh, you know, is it okay to put restrictions around what the employee can, can say about it up to and including like non-disclosure of the settlement itself. And the holding in that case, which, which is for sure going to be appealed, but like the holding in that case is that it is not only like can the employee, you know, the is not supposed to, you know, agree to that stuff. It's, it's illegal for the employee to agree to that stuff, but like it's a, it's an independent unfair labor practice for the employer to even offer a like non-disclosure provision in a, or a confidentiality provision in a settlement agreement, um, which I think has like significant problems, but, but that's, that's that, that's the holding. And that, and the argument that the, the argument that the board's making is that that the ability to disclose and talk about the settlement agreement is, is, is part of the section seven, right. To engage in concerted activity. In other words, you know, like I can't prohibit you from uh, you know, from talking to your coworkers about your pay. Uh, This is sort of in their logic, like this is similar to that. Like you, I can't prohibit you from going and telling your coworkers that I was paid this amount of money to settle this agreement. Um, but there, you know, there's major, major problems with that, with that holding, which we, we talked about a little bit, but.
0: And so you, you started to delve into the other half of section seven rights. So section seven allows employees to engage in concerted activities, but mm-hmm. the other half is that they have the right to refrain from.
1: Yeah. And my big concern about McLaren McCombe is that it, it basically writes the right to refrain out of the statute. Right. And by the way, remember most of these agreements, the, uh, the agreements in this case are, are now no longer with employees. So this, this, these are people that are agreeing as part of the settlement. This often happens. So we will, we will agree to pay you money in lieu of you coming back to work. So you are at this point, no longer an employee. You know, you're a former employee, um, And all we're doing is just trying to figure out sort of the terms of the exit and, and, and the employer from their standpoint wants to get an agreement that you're going to, you're not going to return to work. Um, In this particular case, it was a furlough. So in other words, like it was a layoff, there were no jobs to return to. So we, we want you to, you're going to, you're going to not return to work, but we would like in exchange for that, we would like you to, you know, not go talk to a bunch of people about the agreement that we've made with each other. And um, and so, or to tell people the amount that we settled for. And by the way, an employer who's negotiating that is probably willing to pay more money to to the individual employee in exchange for it not becoming a big PR issue and it not getting discussed with everybody. They Like there is a value that they're getting Um, for that agreement and therefore they are willing to pay more for that agreement. So, so the right to refrain, isn't just like some, you know, something that protects employers, right? The right to refrain is a right of this employee who wants to contract with this employer and, and, and get an exchange. And that right has value to them in this exchange. Okay. So what, what the McLaren McComb says is that it doesn't really matter what the statute says, um, they don't even really address this particular issue, so that the one problem with McLaren-McComb is like this was just totally ignored. but um, I'm sure it won't be ignored on appeal. but the you know that that I have this this right in my basket of rights that I could trade for money. Um, but the board has said like, no, you can't trade that right, which means that employees are not able to exercise the right, therefore the value of their settlement agreement goes down. Many cases that should settle might not settle now because the employer is like, well, if we're going to have a PR crap storm over this anyway, like well, there's no value to entering into the agreement. We'll just like go to trial. Um, so so now an employee that otherwise could just move on down the road and, and get paid, um, like isn't going to get paid or isn't going to get paid as much, all to protect the prospect that this employee might go may go tell people about this settlement arrangement um well i mean that literally writes the right to refrain out of the statute like I, i cannot exercise that right if i want to i can't do it it's illegal for my employer to even make the offer to me and i can't enter into an agreement to uh to to refrain and that's that's contrary to the statute
0: So here's a question for you that's kind of related to this. And I I touched on it um, yesterday when I did an episode on this whole recap, uh, TriCast thing, which we'll come to in a few minutes. But under the act and under longstanding principles with regard to the board, anybody could file a charge that is not necessarily party to the claim. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I see somebody's rights being violated down the street. I could go file a charge with that. So as, and if you've got the board at this point, negating half of the section seven rights, which is the right to refrain, could not some enterprising lawyer file a charge on behalf of workers? And I guess this would be towards the board in this case, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think what's going to happen, like this case, is the vehicle, right? This case gets appealed, and I think you're going to have a bunch of amicus briefs that are going to be making the point that um, that this does it writes out the right to refrain. And uh, and to be honest, I think you know if I'm if I'm sitting back as a policymaker or or like at at the board, I think the board should be really concerned about you know there 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 is a negative consequence to like overstepping um the board itself gets a lot of uh you know spankings from the courts of appeal these days this is this is a really good example like I, I'm not sure that they really want courts of appeals you know weighing in on kind of how far the right to refrain goes um because I don't think they're gonna like the answer, but like Congress wrote it into the statute for a reason and the you know they are, they don't like it. The board and and the general counsel don't like that there is this right to refrain in the statute. Um, and I think these cases are the kinds of cases that are going to really start to kind of full-throatedly explain, like, what does that mean? And I don't think they're going to like the answer. But, but, I mean, at the bottom line, to me, this is just kind of another step in this whole paternalistic, employees don't know, like, don't know how to take care of themselves. Employees are not like, uh, you know, good stewards of their own, you know, their own rights and their, and their own just sort of day to day, you know, take care of themselves. They're, they're not like full grown adults, like the, you know, like the, the people in charge at the NLRB are like, that's the basic theme of all these cases. TriCast is another great example. So it's like, we have to prevent employees from, you know, doing these things that are not in their best interest. And it's like, what are you t- like this, And like it's this employee or the, you know, these employees make a business decision for themselves about what is in their best interest. It is a back and forth negotiation. People are represented. It's like it, this, this, if you really care about, you know, agency for working people this is like the best example of it and you're saying no it's illegal for them to contract because we don't like the we don't we don't like the deal that they made it's just wrong and again just like flat out contrary to the statute
0: well and you kind of touched on the without saying it but the law of unintended consequences or be careful what you wish for because you Mm -hmm. might just get it and i think um there's been a few instances of that with a Bruzo going down one road thinking she's going to handcuff employers, but the bounce back is going to be probably worse for unions than had she not touched it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a whole series of these cases that are like in the pipeline. And I, I mean, look, I understand. I understand, you know, I've, I've said this before here and, you know, anytime I talk about this, like Jennifer Abruzzo is a, is a terrific lawyer and a really smart and really like very effective. So, uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like the, like the, you know, the work, the work that she's doing, you know, she's got her bent on kind of like how this statute's supposed to work. And, um, and she's like full court press going for it, and I don't. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I I just think that it's you know you can win the battle and lose the war, and I feel like she's sort of setting up. And I'm I'm you know not even just her personally, right? But just like sort of yeah you know, the the way that the way that things are set up right now is that there's going to be probably a lot of wins you know in battles over the next year or two. Um, that are going to end up losing the war because you're you're going to get a lot of court decisions that I think are going to say that, look, this is a lot of overstretch. This is, this is not what the statute means and they're going to end up now the board, you know, and the general counsel's office that a lot of times will ignore what circuit courts say. So some of these cases may end up going to the Supreme court, but like at the end of the day, eventually um, you know, the board doesn't get to call the shots here right like they're a federal agency they're governed by federal courts um they they have to do what the supreme court says like so the, the 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 more that they try to swing the pendulum their way the the as you say the the you know the pendulum when it pushes back may end up in a place that they really would have preferred just to keep it where it was in the first place.
0: Right. Well, I think part of the problem is they're ideologically driven. um, And it's, you know, ideology at all costs. And -hmm. it's okay. You get that. But if you're so far driven towards one side that you fail to see the flaws in your logic, then Mm -hmm. you might have a problem later on. And that's, you know, it's the whole thing with card check. Okay. So you're going to do card check and unionize people without elections, but you know, then corporations or companies that you're really trying to unionize are just going to do a better job on the front end.
1: Mm -hmm. I, I know you're, I mean, you know, you and I are, I think, birds of a feather on this, but like that, so that, like, if that ultimately is a result to me, that actually is a win, right? So like if the ultimate result is that employers treat their employees great, And, you know, and, and, and create extraordinary workplaces. I think that's, that's awesome. And if it takes like an out of control board to make that happen, then fine. Like I, I I do think long-term it's bad for board policy. It's bad for, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, uh, like, I, I don't think that's the right approach. Right. But I'm all in favor of great workplaces and and employers should treat their employees great. People deserve a great day at work. People, um, you know, I want workplaces to thrive and uh, I want workers to thrive. So that is, I mean, that at the end of the day, that's why I get out of bed. Like I, we love helping clients create extraordinary workplaces. There's a sign on the wall on the other side of my door that that's, that's the first thing you see when you come into the world headquarters. So that's, um, that's the what I
0: about. The LRI worldwide headquarters. The
1: worldwide headquarters. Now that said, uh, you know, like that's not how it always works on the ground. And right. um, there's, you know, there's, there's a reason that people want to be represented and a reason that people think unions are a good idea. Uh, they, a lot of times don't have really full knowledge and experience and understand like how it actually works, but but that's you know that's what that's what drives it but at the end of the day as far as it comes to board policy around this i mean you can you can push the pendulum as far as you want um but at the end of the day you you know you still you, you know you're going to have these situations i mean like the more you kind of force a union upon people there's also going to be a lot of buyers remorse right because because it, it's it doesn't work the way that the the that the promise you know, the, the, you know, the promises that are made are not the reality, you know, this better than anyone. And so what happens is, you know, the more that you kind of like restrict an employer from saying or doing anything that is like remotely talking about the, 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 the facts of what this looks like after an election, all you're doing is just like building in more buyer's remorse. Um, You know, like the the there should be a full throated defense and or, you know, promotion of, you know, unions should have every right to kind of say all the stuff that they think are good about them. But if you don't let employers because no one else is going to give the other side of the story and if you don't let employers do that, um, all that you're doing is just kind of building in disappointment. Um, you yeah, know, and you can argue that may that employers get it wrong and you can argue you know unions get it wrong too um but at the end of the day you know it comes back to this whole paternalism thing right like full grown adults can can decide this like they they are able to what we we literally all are just like inundated with bullshit like a hundred percent of the time right now on both sides on every you pick the issue. Like it's a, just an avalanche of BS people can pick through that. Like they're capable of it. And so to me, that's kind of like what, so what, you know, what do we do? Let people see both sides and decide for themselves. Like ultimately, like that's the answer. Um, So hiding it from them. So TriCast is like, you know, is, is like the example of that, but, but you know, you know, an employer saying that when a union comes in um you know we lose our direct relationship so that might be first of all that is accurate like it's it's it might be a little bit overbroad like it doesn't mean I can't talk to you anymore right i think adults can figure that out by the way but like it means i can't deal with you on wages hours conditions of employment which is exactly what the statute says and that's what employees you know perceived by that i think it's kind of comical that you know the whole union movement is just like you know employers are evil and all they want to do is screw you but then when it comes down to like oh if you say that you're not going to be able to talk directly to this evil dastardly employer that you know that you can't stand like that's an unfair labor practice i think that's also a little funny but well
0: the The contradiction in Abruzzo's approach on Tricast is now when I'm dealing with employees, I specifically go through literally the national labor relations board basic guidebook, Mm -hmm. right? And it states in there Mm -hmm. that once unionized employers cannot deal with their employees with respect to wages, hours and working conditions without the union. Mm -hmm. That's what the collective bargaining representatives for. So we talk about direct dealing and if, a uh, Bruzo is on the kick that she now wants employers to explain section nine a excepting for the fact that an employee or group of employees can go directly to their employer to have their grievances heard and adjusted mm-hmm. with the, with the, however, part, it can't be inconsistent with the contract or right. the union has right. the right to be present. Well, even the union being present in that meeting, you're still not dealing directly with the employer, right? You're still the unions in the meeting. Mm -hmm. which you know it's kind of okay so what's the point (laughs) so
1: right like the exception swallows the rule right it's like
0: and then the next question and this is the other part that nobody's been able to answer for me so I just kind of put it out there I I I had messaged a few attorneys and texted them said do you want to play stump the labor lawyer mm -hmm. but the The question is, what happens to the union member who has sworn an oath of loyalty to that union as his or her exclusive bargaining representative now bypassing the union to deal directly with their employer? Can they be Mm -hmm. placed on trial for that? And in theory, they shouldn't be placed on trial because the law supersedes the union's constitution. So then the next question is, is the union's constitution worded in such a way that infringes upon employee Section Seven rights under or Section Nine A rights?
1: Mm-hmm. And oh wait, why I'm aren't we prosecuting that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because there's a whole bunch of employer handbooks that are in front of those cases. But like that's no, I, I mean, I think it's you know, totally fair points, right? And it it comes back down to this whole, um, you know, do you actually want employees to have agency and the answer is clearly no. Like, like they, and, and, and th- this one is a very, this one is like super weird, right? Cause they're, 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 they're kind of at the top, lo- at the top line. They're sort of defending this right of an employee to talk directly. You know, they, they're like, well, you can't say that that right goes away because they have the ability to adjust their grievances. Um, but it's turtles With all the, the way down. Present. Yeah. It's turtles all the way down. Like, okay you don't lose the right to deal with me directly. So now what are you going to deal with me directly on? Well, I answered almost every one of those is going to be, Oh, go talk to your steward or, Oh, go see the contract. Or what does the constitution say? So yeah, we can still talk to each other. Um, It's just, those conversations are going to be pretty short and not very meaningful to you. Um, But Hey, you still have the right to talk to me. So, and I mean, at the end of the day, like that's how it's going to get described. Uh, that's the careful way to describe it anyway.
0: I I always use this example because this actually happened when I was a union rep. I had a supervisor and he and I used to nudge each other um, back and forth. I'd give him grievances Mm -hmm. that were BS grievances just to screw around. But we're in a right-to-work state, Arizona. We had a plant of roughly 1,500 to 2,000 employees. I had an area, well, there's when I was a chief steward, so I had several areas, but I had a lady who we knew to not be a member of the union. She, I saw her go into his office one day. After she left, I said, "What did so and so want with you?" And he said, "Well, she'd used up all her vacation. She wanted, she needed more time off or whatever." He didn't grant it to her. But I said to him, "If you know, you shouldn't have been dealing with her without me present, mm-hmm. because again, she's not a member of the union, but she was trying you to adjust her." Right. So I said, if his name was Mark, I said, if you do that again, I'm going to file a ULP because you're circumventing the union direct dealing. Yeah. And, you know, it's that kind of situation that happens in real life that, um, you know, workers don't understand. I think Abruzzo trying to make it, she's trying to fluff over that, but yeah. yeah, it's just a, it's a weird case that opens up more issues. I think for the, for the union side than it does for employers. Now she's going to have some employers. I think that, you know, they go out there ham fisted and they say stupid things. I can't talk uh, to you about the football game anymore. Cause you got a union. Right. Yeah. You know.
1: And I mean, like that's, that's, that's totally like, it is totally legitimate. To, and, and, and like, I think at that point, what, what they're arguing is correct. Right. It's like, if, you know, if you are saying that, conversations that you have and enjoy right now are illegal if a union comes in when they're not like that, that is a threat, right? It's like, you know, it, or, or, you know, it's, it's essentially like, I'm going to, I am going, I am no longer going to treat you the way that I have treated you in the past because you've exercised your section seven, right? Like that's illegal. So I'm not, like you know that, and, and and you're right. Like that, that does that. There are a lot of people who sort of you know, just just cliff notes the topic that way. So so that's like that's wrong. Um, now, but is ahead, that you're... in
0: fact illegal? Saying that uh, I can't discuss with you the things that we've discussed in the past. Now, well, I, was, I guess I was thinking
1: more, a little bit more like your example about the football game or the basketball pool or right. like the stuff that we, you know, the thing, you know, the re- and and really it's a little bit more, it's not even necessarily like the topic, although those would be like good examples of topics, right? Like if you're saying I can't talk to you about that stuff, then that you're taking something away, right? Like you're, you know, that that is not a wage hour condition of employment. You, uh, you're, so you're, 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 I I don't think we're on screen, but you're definitely uh, noodling this one. I could tell. So like, what do you think that? I
0: like playing devil's advocate. So
1: yeah, well, go ahead. Well, I,
0: so it's not a wage hour working condition. It's Mm -hmm. a relationship. And is that necessarily something by statute that could be deemed as a threat? Um, and I'm I'm going to the ham fisted supervisor who yeah you know, we've been fishing buddies and I can't fish with you anymore if you're unionized. Okay, that's bullshit. But you know, is that is that a threat unlawful? Or is it, you know, I, I it's, mean it's one of those personal relationships that's not going to go into a contract anyway.
1: Right? I I think that it's a quid pro quo, right? It's like if you if you don't vote in the union we're going to keep being fishing buddies. If you vote in the union, I'm not fishing with you anymore. I feel like that is an unlawful threat. I I, I think I, you know, I would say that you could put up a Twitter poll or whatever, but like I, I that, I think, I think, I think if you poll labor lawyers, including management side, I think they would say that that, that kind of a, you know, and it wouldn't necessarily be said that way it would be said the way you just said it right it's like well you know I don't know we can be fishing buddies uh if this happens i that's taking away something relationally and it's and it's hinging it on this exercise of the right that that to me is clearly out of bounds um and and, I'm and I, cannot, I want
0: know. to see the charge where a female supervisor is married to a husband in the bargaining unit and says if you vote for this union you're not going to have home cooked meals anymore or something like that
1: yeah uh, i'd like to see that charge <laughs> Just to see where it goes um but i anyway i think you know I, I think and the point the point that the point that's being made in tricast and the point that i think the general council is making is you know, you, you you have to be you have to be a little more careful when you're sort of describing that whole interplay, right? Right. Right. Um, and I don't think it's wrong to suggest that you know you can't just flat out say you know like uh, okay, I I will say I think if you just say like we lose the direct relationship broadly without going into these specific examples, I I don't know what that. Is illegal. Like what? Like, I, I I think people can distinguish between you know direct relationship as it relates to wages, hours, working conditions. And I know I'm still going to be able to talk to my supervisor. It's not like you know. Now, if you clarify we're going to lose a direct relationship, and that means I can no longer talk to you. Okay, well that's different. I've now you've now clarified it in like in a way that's wrong. Um, but I would say at the top level, you should be allowed to say. The direct relationship changes it fundamentally changes that's absolutely correct you know I no longer have the right to deal with you directly okay that that's a true statement yeah. then uh, if you start explaining it you you should explain it correctly which is I cannot deal with you directly on wages hours conditions employment you can still come talk to me but if you're right. if you're asking me to adjust something that is covered by the labor agreement the labor agreement trumps everything else and you're going to have to go through that process.
0: Yeah, I think um, where I have seen it and I hear it third hand, if you will, from the employees Mm -hmm. mostly is where you have a supervisor that has that conversation on the floor. And because I'm usually if I'm doing a meeting with employees and walking them through the law and how direct dealing works and it's unlawful for an employer to deal directly with and et cetera, um, you know, I'll. I'll occasionally have a employee say, well, my supervisor said we couldn't talk anymore. So this kind of, I think goes to, yeah. if she gets her way, um, if and that is a Bruzo, I mm-hmm. think it goes to employers doing training with supervisors in the correct way to communicate this. It's more on the, on the training side because it's usually off the floor is where I hear that.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, first of all the law is complicated and people will shorthand things and they will misunderstand things and so, and there there's there is nothing wrong i full throatedly support we should train managers and supervisors like what the rules are right and they should practice answering questions about them until they get it right so that they they really understand you know how it works and the and plays. there's a lot of nuance to it
0: yeah the role um, plays help
1: yeah you can't i mean you can't just go like you can't just walk a bunch of supervisors through the National Labor Relations Act in an hour and then expect them to go answer questions like, like, you know, well. Now, you can train them for a short period of time and then say, look, you're going to get asked a bunch of questions that are going to confuse you. Don't answer, you know, just say, I'm not sure, and then go find the right answer when you have the question in your hand instead of, you know, spitballing an answer to a, to a question you don't know the answer to, that would be you know. So I'm not saying everyone has to be a labor lawyer, um, but just make sure that they know enough to understand when they need to go ask somebody for the actual answer, uh, and then you know, and then and then create the the mechanism for them to go get the correct answer to those to those questions. But you know, this is one of those that, uh, like I said, I feel like the top line answer should be okay that's not the way that the general counsel and the the board see it now but like that we lose the direct relationship is is i think correct and is not threatening once you branch into explaining it if you explain it wrong then yeah that could be seen as threatening I, i think a reasonable employee could could see that as as threatening and so you need to explain it correctly um but to me that would make a lot more sense than this sort of blanket you can't say that you lose our direct relationship. um, That should not be illegal.
0: I still think somebody should take up the case about the union constitutions.
1: I I think it's an, I mean, I, 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 do think it's interesting, right? How many, you know, because unions don't want employees, just using your example, right? Unions don't want employees, whether they are members or not, they don't want they don't want to be circumvented. And so they create a lot of structure around, around that. So if 9A is like such an important part of the statute, why do you allow all of this structure around forcing people to use the union even if they don't want to?
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's And, and you may be important. interfering with the union's job as the collective bargaining representative, which mm-hmm. is in almost every constitution of what you can be put on trial for.
1: Yeah. And it's the it's the flip side of it's it's the flip side of McLaren McComb, right? Right. It's like employees have this protected right to deal directly around adjustment of, you know, wages and 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 grievance or adjustment of grievances. Um, And so a union should not be able to take that away. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's a that's a good point counterpoint.
0: Well, it's that law of unintended consequences. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. And, you know, it, and that's what I've been... Ever since she announced that, because the whole TriCast thing came up in her August of 2021 memo. Yeah. And I was like, well, that poses an interesting dilemma. Mm -hmm. Because... Yeah, you know, what about the unions?
1: I mean, I, th- I think the answer there would be like, you know, it's up to the employee. And, and uh, like, if, if, if the way that it comes down is, you know, that the employee does have that right, irrespective of like whatever a constitution says or irrespective of, of, you know, whatever their union leadership says, um, that, then I'm like, I'm in like that to me is giving the employee agency i am all for that um the same way i am all for the employee having agency around right to refrain like that to me seems that those two are consistent um but your point is is good like if a you know if, if a union if you're going to say look if an employer handbook even though it's never been enforced and they've never discussed the provision if a reasonable you know, employee would interpret it as chilling section seven rights, you should have the same rule for that constitutions. That right? chilling
0: effect is there within the constitution. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a matter of who's going to pursue that. Yes. So.
1: Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of cases on that side, but.
0: Right. Well, and it's, you know, I, maybe you can even cite the employer handbook cases as, you know, yeah. as the legal background on it.
1: I mean, yeah, should be, right? Why why would you treat a constitution differently than a like the constitution is the union's employee handbook basically. Right. And the bylaws. So, why would why would they be treated different?
0: Right. Hey, I wanted not to totally jump off the topic, but I'm going to because I just saw a headline this morning about unions grew by 200,000 members and I don't remember the actual headline but you did a um, really, really good carving up of the numbers a couple months ago mm-hmm. and that unions in 2022 did not grow by as nearly as much as the headlines are claiming or at least not due to union organizing activity. Right and well
1: yeah so union unions uh, so you know union density overall went down. First of all, right. But there were there were two hundred thousand more. So the, yeah the I had to scratch my head for a second to think about the, like, the top the, way that's the work. top numbers
0: were that. the unions grew by two hundred seventy three thousand workers in twenty twenty two.
1: Right, and the reason why density went down was because non union workers went there was way way more non union jobs created versus union jobs created. So even though Union represented workers went up, non-union workers went up more. And so that, um, that's why density went down. Um, but the fact is there were, you know, whatever the number is, 200 and some thousand more represented workers last year than the year before. That said, most of those workers were not organized in, in LRB elections. The, um, There were, there was a, probably most of those workers were, uh, and and the reason I say that is because the people that were organized last year, most of them don't show up in the, they are not going to show up in the BLS statistics as like represented by a union yet because they don't have a contract. Um, Not paying dues. Yeah, they're not paying dues. They, they may, the way that they do that, that's a, that's a population survey. So people might. Say they're represented by a union, um, uh, and might say that they're a member of a union even when they're not. So, like that's possible. But, um, but, but generally speaking, I think people, you know, people are not going to say they're a member of a union if they're not paying dues to the union and aren't like haven't sworn membership or whatever. Um, So, there's probably a bunch of people that were organized in in LRB elections last year that probably don't even show up in the BLS statistic. But the reason why. The BLS number would go up would be just because, you know, employers were growing last year and were hiring, and so unionized workplaces were hiring, just like non-union workplaces were hiring. So you were increasing the number of represented workers during the year, just by virtue of people were going and getting jobs at places that were already represented.
0: Right. My recollection was that out of the two hundred seventy-three thousand quote new members. 200,000 of them were those exact, you know, scenarios where unionized employers were hiring. And then you have broken to, it down even further. Of the, I'd have to
1: go back and look at the article, Peter. But I I, like, I, remember I think you had it article. down to
0: about 30,000 people or the old is down to 30,000 quote, new members. Yeah. Due to organizing.
1: I'd have to go, uh, refresh my Uh, recollection it's like holy
0: crap yeah they've really inflated the numbers in the in the mainstream headlines
1: well it's like i mean it's you know all that stuff you know you you're only going to get and look both sides do it i I mean i you know the point of that article is to you know i'm i'm cherry picking the parts of it that i think are you know the, the other side of the story but any you know any media article on this you know 99.9 percent of media articles around this it's it's just like the union you know 70 plus percent yeah. of people you know want to be in a unions union. well actually that's not what you know 71 percent said they approve of unions that's true that's the top line number but like if you dig into the gallup poll um, uh, like a a solid majority of people were like but not for me. I, I like unions as an right. idea, you know, but I don't want to have one. So, you know, if you, you know, if you went with the numbers of people who actually say they want to have one, unions would lose every election. So it's, it's just, yeah. You know, that, anyway, that's just, that's labor media for you.
0: Yeah. I had a uh, a guest on, Kim Cavan, who's been on several times. She heads up the fight for freelancers. And we were talking about that Gallup poll. Mm-hmm. And she said, "That's like vanilla ice cream." You know, if you ask people, "Is vanilla ice cream okay?" the majority would say yes, but do they yeah. want to order if there are thirty-one flavors? No. So it's like oh, that's a really good analogy
1: because vanilla ice cream is my favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, but see? I get, but I get the a... point. I would be like, <laughs> I would be the one that orders vanilla. Everyone else would be like bubble gum and
0: right, Rocky Road,
1: Rocky Road. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Butterbur so what going. else are
0: you guys up to? You said you're busy. Everybody's busy.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's there's still a lot of organizing activity and we of course do, you know, do work in those cases. We're doing a lot of training. Um and you know, we're you know, we're we're just, you know, the the yeah, the the downside I guess like if you're a, you know, if you're if you're looking at kind of like all the petitions that have been filed and all the organizing activity is that, that, I mean, that that's that's what, what – and whether it is actually working on an organizing campaign, the fact that it's in the media so much, the fact that, uh, you know, it's impacting maybe, you know, an employer that's a competitor of yours or an employer that's, you know, in the same community as yours, you know, it generates – going back to kind of where we started, right? If it's – you know, it generates concern on the part of employers like, oh, is this going to happen to us? Um, which is I, like, it's a good thing in my, in my book, because it, it gets the employer to just go, um, cause it's real, it's real easy to get into the day to day, just like doing your, doing the work and getting, you know, meeting customer demands and all that stuff. And to not take that step back going like, are we a great place to work? And right. this topic gets people at the very top of organizations to take that step back and go, are we a great place to work? Um, And that, I mean, that's a, that's a positive thing. I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this on the way to work this morning, but I think, you know, that that's a really important message to working people today is that, um, and I know you, I've heard you say this before, but it's, I mean, it's true. You're, like your leverage around this whole union issue is the threat of a union or, you know, like talking it's always been about a bigger the hammer, yeah. right? Like at the point that you're at, Starbucks is like a great example of this, you know, on it. Like if you, you know, I haven't, I haven't done this, but I like, I would like to, to sit down with some folks that organized a Starbucks store last year and go, you know, if you could go back in time and just have the campaign and sort of have the the energy and excitement that came with like banding together, but then actually not do it. And then you would, you would get like the, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that Starbucks did. And I know that there's a whole, you know, there's a legal issue about this. And I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm sure the board is going to have their say and whether, you know, whether changing working conditions, you know, in parallel to all this organizing activity is lawful or not, but, um, but look, historically that, that has been, you know, that's not out of bounds. If you're not doing it to, you know, to, to negatively impact the, the organizing locations, you know, you can change work conditions where in places where it's not laboratory conditions. Um, But I, I really think if you go to people and just go like, look, like the, the, the most power and, and like the most leverage happens at the point where the there's like, there's a possibility that it's not going to go, union, right? Like, that's the point where the employer is like, okay, like we've made mistakes. We understand like there the, you know, there's a lot of legitimate concerns that have been raised during this. Um, this is, you know, this is not who we want to be as an employer. Um, but at the point where the employer still has like some control around responding to that, um, that's a much better place to be in than, okay, well, now we're represented and now all this stuff's gonna get like settled at a bargaining table with people that may or may not be any good at bargaining. Um, you know, and Starbucks is its own whole, like, you know, uh, you know, story.
0: Eco- yeah. Ecosystem.
1: Yeah. Cause like you've, you've completely overwhelmed like the people that are supposed to be the experts and represent you are so overwhelmed that like, they can't even, the, 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 you know, there's, they're not going to be able to do their job. Like it's just not like, so they basically are, are looking at trying to win in the court of public opinion and just, you know, bash uh, the CEO and none of that is going to have any impact, like on the ground for the folks that organized. And right. if they if they really actually want a labor contract, like everything that they're doing is completely backwards.
0: Um, well, it's like Bernie Sanders is calling Howard Schultz up to the Senate Health yeah. Committee, I think this week, and yeah, you know, it's like, okay, what good is this going to do other than well, you yes, get exactly you know, get some? yeah I mean, right?
1: Yeah, honestly, like on the ground, it just makes like. Okay, you're going to be able to tweet pictures of Howard Schultz and say mean things about him. Right. He's he's like not even going to be the CEO in a few weeks. It's just right. it's kind of it's it's kind of it's all performative and if that's the point, which for a lot of folks I think it is, like if that's the point then okay, have the performance. Um but in get terms your, of actually get your
0: TikTok videos up there,
1: yeah. But in terms of actually improving the lives of workers, it's meaningless. It's worse than meaningless. Like I think it's, I think it's really negative, um, disingenuous. Yeah, like on the ground. Like honestly, if if you if you believe so much in bargaining, like get to the freaking table and bargain, and. Um, but that's Pause, not, but the, pause yeah.
0: on that for a second okay. because, um, and I've, I pulled them and I didn't, I haven't gone back too far. This is only a couple of weeks old, but I've started seeing charges and you know, we post charges every day, right? Mm-hmm. So I started seeing these charges filed by Starbucks against Starbucks workers United for refusal to bargain yeah. or, and, or bargaining in bad faith. And they're mm-hmm. all filed within a few days, within a week. And then yeah. there's a a couple more filed by Trader Joe's against the Trader Joe's workers union, mm-hmm. and I found that interesting. Same type of charge, different law firms. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. Have you seen those charges at all?
1: I have seen them. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like if you know, if you look at, and, and look, I am total just like outside looking in on all this. Right. But the but this like Starbucks workers united. So first of all, go back to. Nobody organizing. understood how. No one understood how bargaining actually works. You don't really have any any experts that you know, like the like the the train is being is is being run by folks with very little experience, you know. And like they have, it's not like they don't have lawyers or experienced people that are kind of advising, but they're overwhelmed, right? They have like three hundred of these that they're that they're dealing with, and and so you know. I'm sure the law firms are like, hey, let's go sit down at the bargaining table. The, the, the union is trying to insist that all of these individual units like bargain as one giant like Uber right. group, which is not, which is the exact opposite of what they argued right. when they first started organizing these stores. So it's a store by store by store thing, and the employer has every right to to insist that we're going to negotiate these agreements store by store by store. This is exactly what you argued for. So like, let's sit down and bargain. They want to do it over like zoom and have like the entire world watch in. Well, that's not the way that bargaining works. And, 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 and I, I, you know, the employer has every right to, to look, Look, the point of the statute is to be able to, create an environment where the parties can sit down together and negotiate an agreement um, and stabilize the labor relations environment, right? Like that's the point of the statute. It is not to make it a circus and to put the employer on blast uh, and, and the, and the legal team on blast. And like that, none of that is a productive way to reach an agreement. And I think that the employer to their credit is like, look that you are not serious about negotiating. And at some point it's like, enough's enough. Like NLRB, we want you to weigh in and get these folks to actually sit down at a bargaining table and negotiate with us the way it's supposed to be done. Now, whether the NLRB will, uh, you know, I'm sure the NLRB will have a different opinion about whether this is bad faith bargaining or not, but like it is absolutely just clearly observable the way that they're behaving is not good faith bargaining.
0: Well, so that goes back to, again, you know, you're opening up Pandora's box. Starbucks said, let's do this. And they, they've said this on their website. That's why I'm kind of just, I don't have any yeah. inside knowledge like you do or like you, as well as you. Like
1: I don't, but like, anyway. Correct. Um,
0: <laughs> sorry, I just like lost myself there. But so they, they have said on their website that they're not going to do you know, area wide bargaining or, or national Mm -hmm. bargaining. And they cited the union, in fact, arguing for this site by site. Right. Right. So that's kind of a, um, a given now. I think, I don't, I don't know why, but the union is like, you know, we can have our cake and eat it too on Mm -hmm. this argument, but they can, I would think Starbucks could actually use the board's decision of this is an appropriate unit, this little store in Buffalo, they each whatever. have
1: individual working conditions. Right. They each individual, like, right. I mean, that, that was all of the argument about the units was how unique each one of these stores is.
0: Yeah, it's almost as though Starbucks could turn around and use the ALJ or whoever decided the the unit, the regional director's decision, on each specific unit. Like, here's why, you know, here's your evidence. They have really I'm, not smart- so, I'm not quite sure, as I haven't seen any media on this, on the uh, Trader Joe's thing, but I suspect it may be the same thing.
1: Yeah, they both have really smart, effective lawyers that know how all this works and right. are going to ask that the that both sides play by the rules, right? right? Like, uh, so that yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think you know this is the year of buyers' remorse around. I, I think a lot of folks they got excited and 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 in the moment of you know, of organizing without really understanding like how it all works. And once they like these like, you know, I, I think there there's the there's there's the flip side of this group of intelligent, um, connected um you know activist working folk, right? That are um that drove this historic moment last year, but but all of those same traits, you know, they're smart, they're connected, they are they're gonna they're gonna start being activist, you know, in opposition to sort of the bill of goods that they were sold last year. Um and I mean, you know, this whole like Starbucks is the evil empire thing and and I, you know we're talking about starbucks but trader joe's you know like you, you you name it yeah when you really when you really start reading like okay well what are like the the evil things you know about these these workplaces mm-hmm. um you know it's and i am putting i'm putting to the side you know like there there's been um yeah you know, there's been terminations and store closings and like the, yeah there's there's been some things that that would you know we clearly you know the board has weighed in and and argued that those are unlawful and a federal court in Michigan has weighed in and so so like there's um look there you know the, the, there's going to be dispute about what's happening sort of like on the ground but just in general is the in general you know average trader joe's or average starbucks store like a horrible place to work it's not the even when you read the interviews of the employees that are organizing they're not they're complaining more about like the economy in general, they're complaining more about sort of, uh, you know, issues that are not like subjects of bargaining. Right. Right. And, and so there are issues that people care deeply about. There are issues that, uh, you know, but, but like respect is not a bargaining. There's no like respect provision in collective bargaining agreements. And if you don't feel respected, you know, a union is not going to change that, you know,
0: and did you did you happen to see the video that went viral a few months ago of the, of the Starbucks kid who was crying in the back room and overwhelmed and all that sort of stuff. I used that recently, um, not the whole thing, but just part of it and like stopped it midway through and I said, okay, irrespective of how the individual explained it, let's parse out what he's talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, manager not paying attention, not scheduling, you know, all things that will probably not make it into a bargaining agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there, he, you could tell he's frustrated, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's like, more emotion than fact.
1: Yeah. And none of that's like, like n- none of that's wrong. Like I, like that, the, right. I, I've watched the video and that, that, you know, like if that was my kid, I would be super, like, I would be, I I would I would be super concerned that like they were, they were feeling like that at work, and right. I would, um, you know, and I, I would want to comfort them in any way that I could. But if that was my kid, I would also explain that like bargaining is is not going to fix that. Right? right. And by the way, you're back here while you know even if the store is understaffed, like you're back here while while making you know, like a it's TikTok understaffed video. now by one more person right. while you're doing this. But right. um but all that being said, it's like you probably should just not work there. Right. Right. Like right. that is um yeah and, and you know like Starbucks is is not designing the process to be understaffed and to put employees in that situation. Right. Like that is that is not the design of the operation. Um, that's a bad day. And look, bad days happen in er- everybody's workplace. Um, and, you know, so, so but I, like I empathized, I empathized with him, you know, but at the same time, it's like the solution that you've, you know, decided right. upon is not, is not going to fix the problem that you're facing. Um, and well, and that's, that's kind of why worse. I used it
0: because it's, you know, it, it, a, everybody have seen it and went viral mm. and people made fun mm. of the kid and all that. But, you know, then you got to break down what he's actually saying versus his presentation of it. Yeah. And, and they're typical workplace issues, but they're not resolvable by a union.
1: Yeah. Or the resolution would be even like worse than the, the problem you know right. like when a lot of times right. when you try to solve these things in a contract that's that's the other thing that people just don't get it's again going back to unintended consequences like try, trying to solve you know staffing it's like like ratios in healthcare right like right. trying to solve solve a systemic staffing issue through you know an edict in a agreement that can't possibly anticipate all of the different you know things that are going to happen um, is worse than just trying to solve it in the moment with the, the, the resources that we have available to us. Um, yeah, it just, it ends up a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, uh, unintended consequences.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this, cause we touched on a second ago, the, the, um, organizing activity from last year. Do you, I know you guys track petitions and all that sort of stuff and, and we post them and stuff. Are you starting to, well, let me put it in my terms. I'm starting to think that it's not necessarily waning yet, but it may have peaked. I'm, I'm starting to see obviously less Starbucks yeah. activity. There's still some sure. going on. Um, but the the organizing activity seems to have been tapering off a little bit. It's not as fast and furious. The headlines aren't coming out as much as they were last year. And I'm wondering if we're we're past the the peak of the activity yet.
1: Um, well, I mean... It, I think it, it seems
0: it's, like it's going back to the 2019, 2018 yeah,
1: timeframe. I would say it's way too early to tell. But um, that said, I can... I can certainly give you the view, like the data view. So, like I'm going to do it. That's what I
0: love about you. You got the data at your fingertips.
1: (laughs) All (laughs) right. So, uh, what are we? Three, fourteen, and then we're going to compare. We'll just do last five years. I'm only going to do RCs. And so, let's see. I, I, I believe it is true that we are regressing back to the i won't say to the mean but okay so we're as of like right this minute so twelve forty-two central time on march 14th uh 2023 we're at 406 rc petitions this year we were at 454 last year one thing to keep in mind peter the starbucks like the big months of the Starbucks petitions last year were March, April, May, mm-hmm. somewhat in February, but, but really it was like March would have been the first kind of blast big
0: wave. Yeah.
1: yeah. So in 2021, COVID impacted really low, like I think the lowest petition year ever, we were at 230, So that's like pretty low. 2020. Same same time period, we were at 402, right? So we are mm-hmm. basically right on track with 2020. We're about 50 petitions less than 2022. And then that 2022 number is going to rocket up in the next two months. Um, now, it'll start coming back down the second half of the year because the there was a spike in those petitions. I want to say I think April was the biggest month. May had quite a few... And then by the time you got into the summer, you know, it was like 10 or so a month. Um, but we're basically right where we were in 2020, which nobody was talking about that being a historic year of organizing. Um, now, 2018 and 19, the this same period was 313 and 335, respectively, 335 and 2018 and 313. 2019 so um 406 is a is a pretty good bump from those two years uh but in general we're we're sort of tracking where we were two years ago and um you know it's it's not a uh you know I, i think what you just said is correct we're going to see this year is going to be uh, a drop from last year, and it it just it must be right that those those Starbucks petitions were historic in number, right? And you're you're not seeing like that kind of activity anymore at Starbucks, and it hasn't been replaced by any other employer, and so you're kind of like in this, um, you know. Well, we're of- not seeing
0: the headlines for. Um, Trader Joe's or Apple or Home Depot or, you know, some of the ones we were seeing last year, it just seems to have like, I don't know that it's lost its steam yet, but it seems to be losing some steam.
1: I mean, I, I think it's natural that people are kind of like, okay, well, we heard all about it last year. What's the result? And the, and the answer is nothing. is right. The result. Right. And so again, these are connected, smart, you know, mo- like mostly kids that, um, you know, are, are not, you know, they like, you're not going to fool them. Like, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of the, you know, the point here, like they were, they could be fooled into voting in a union because they saw this like as a movement and, you know, you know which really aligns sort of with the way that they're wired, but, but they're not going to be fooled for long. And I think we're, I think we're kind of seeing that. So, I mean, you yeah, know, we'll see last year, the spike in organizing activity happened right around now. So maybe this second half of March and April, we'll, you know, we'll see another like skyrocket in petitions, but I just, I don't see it.
0: Right. Yeah. And I'm, it's, and I'm just, my data is not scientific. It's just literally getting a sense on what's coming out of the press. Yeah. So yeah. In any case. Look, we've been on for about an hour, and I know you're a busy man, and I have unfortunately gotten sucked into a couple of things I wish I hadn't, but anyway. <laughs> so we I know that probably feeling. we should probably end it here. So Phil yeah, well, Wilson, great to see you again. It was great talking to you. Hopefully we'll see each other soon and do this again. Yeah. Thanks, so, Peter. All right. Thanks. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Phil Wilson, President and General Counsel of Labor Relations Institute. And as you could probably tell by listening, we both are passionate about this topic of labor relations. So we could probably talk for hours. Unfortunately, he's busy. I'm busy. We needed to cut it off. Um, but I hope to have him on as frequently as he's available and I'm available. But that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report, that's at WorkplaceRPT, or give us a call at one 888 668 6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Oh me to that place. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.